Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, now heading towards Venice. I'd like to get right to introductions because we have an awful lot to get to tonight, and so to my right. Hello, this is Mike, and I'm playing James Robert Fraser, uh, who has been fraternizing with the staff on the Orient Express on their, on their way to Venice. Indeed you have. You've learned some very interesting things about uh, a small child's history aboard the train, it seems. Indeed. He wants a shit, always a shit. <laughs> seems that way. Uh, to his right. Hi, I'm Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and I didn't think I could hate children any more than I already do, but Mr. Diamond keeps proving me wrong. Listen, I am here, if nothing else, to inspire you to hate children. On the other side of the table, as we are in the missing Mr. Griffith formation, Hi, I'm Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger. Last intro, I had a new abdomen, and this intro, I have a new chest. Hmm. Upgrade or? Copper-plated, at least. It's fantastic. Plus three AC. That's right. If only we used AC. <laughs> uh, and last one, was certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And, uh, hmm, Richard's starting to muse about various things, and... Uh, just wondering where you can get some copper from. Rolls and rolls of copper. I'm sure one of these buildings has some copper you could pluck from, right? Well, you could do, do a little uh, late night copper peeling, maybe, go into one of these older Venetian buildings. Yeah, a little trip on the roof. What could go yeah. wrong? <laughs> right. Says the guy who got, most, most recently got trampled. What could go wrong? And who has form on roofs. Right. <laughs> uh, so. We, uh, we open the scene here tonight back on the Orient Express as it slowly and rather assuredly makes its way to Venice. So there is time for a little bit of a lie down, Lady Elizabeth, between Milan and Venice. It actually works out really well. Getting on the train midday, you have two or three hours before you get to uh, your destination. Lying there in your cabin, you have a rather strange series of mental pictures. You see in one of these more lucid style dreams, a shimmering elk. Definitely an elk, not a deer, uh, certainly an elk. It's powerfully built, wide and uh, generous uh, as far as its uh, upper rack of, of horns go, a very male-oriented. And you see it drinking water near a pond in a mountainous area. There's a morning fog that sits just above the waterline here in the pond as this elk continues to drink. And from your position, say, just a, a bit across the pond, you see the elk tip its head up. And as it tips its head up, it looks around. And there's something out there in the pond that begins to rise up out of it. It's enormous, whatever it is. It's a billowing black form. And as it grows closer and closer the fog continuing to obscure it, you get the feeling that you've seen this thing before. You don't know what it is yet, but you get the intense feeling like you know what's coming. And there's a voice in your ear all of a sudden, right moments before you snap yourself awake back aboard the train. And the voice says, I'm coming, my dear. 
It's a male voice. It's honey and smooth and subtle. Is it the same voice I heard in the hospital basement back in Paris? Not at all. That is a sinister and uh, almost, we'll say, elderly man's voice. This is a vibrant voice, full of power and vigor. Hmm. Interesting. And you wake up in your stateroom, in the, in the cabin area, and you look around a little bit. It's a bit of a start. You feel the pulse in your veins and in your chest as you heave up and down just at the thought of it. Hmm. Might have to see Paul about some things to sleep without dreaming. I'm going to pull out my journal and write about the dream just so I can remember it for later. You struggle at first. Unfortunately, the the pen in your hand, it, it doesn't come to you immediately, the grasping of it. You almost seem to... It's like the pen is made of water for a moment or two, and you have a hard time putting it in between your fingers and thumb. You've had this pain before. It's mostly from the wrist and uh, and your knuckles, unfortunately. But after a few moments, you work the muscles back and forth until you get a little bit of uh, solid feeling there in your fingers. Definitely need to speak to Paul. It's going to be one of those days. Miss Bellinger, you have been spending your time mostly uh, aboard this voyage uh, writing. You come up with a fantastic idea and you've decided that what the Orient Express truly needs, the entire service, honestly, is they need a travel guide directly from an American's perspective. Mm-hmm. Because so much of the traveling companion that you is provided by the Orient Express is written in a rather English sort of way. Inadequate. Well, they're not being direct enough. And quite frankly, they're not being exactly. truthful. There's tons of things that have happened to you along your voyage that you simply just... That's not included. Was not prepared. No, not at all. They didn't say anything like that would happen in the opera house. And I would think that would be a feature that they would want to outline, highlight. Clearly. So you've spent a a little time musing uh, on and on about your writing. You've noticed that as you get closer to Venice, you're developing a slight cough. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I think it's about time for that once over I was going to ask Paul for. Certainly. I mean, locating Paul is not hard. He's uh, nearby in the cabin. He's reading a book. Yeah, I, I'll go to Paul's cabin and... Yes, come in. Yes, hello, Paul. Um, I am a little bit concerned at that I'm developing some sort of cough. Now, I know that a, a, many people had fallen ill at the theater and myself and Richard were backstage, so I'm worried I may have caught something. Oh, how uh, is so the rash? A better, I I think, and I'll kind of check myself over. Yeah, it seems a little bit better. Um, but I, I just, I've been coming down with some sort of a cough, so I was hoping you could maybe listen to my lungs and see if there's anything I should be worried about. Yes, certainly. He takes out a stethoscope. Just um, go ahead and sit here, and uh, he steps behind you and closes the cabin door and then pulls the shade so just um, breathe nice and easy for me in and out you feel the cold metal of the stethoscope end on your skin and for a moment it's actually quite pleasing because of the the warmth of the skin there um, he moves it towards your the back of your neck and then down uh, probably mid back and he says Yes, you do seem to have some something obstructing here. I should be able to uh, create a tonic for you that uh, taken a couple times a day might be able to alleviate some of the symptoms, but it might just be that we have to get to a drier climate ultimately for it to get better. 
Well, I don't suppose we will be heading to a drier climate right now. Um, I was just reading that Venice is full of rivers. I, I believe it's on a lake of sorts or a body of water. Hmm, indeed. Yes, it's uh, it's it's quite uh, quite uh, aquacentric, as one might say. Yes, very moist. Hmm. So, well, you said a, a tonic then in the meantime? Yes, I'll brew it up here shortly. I'm just finishing my notes here at some of the things that, well, quite frankly, I, I can't help but make notes about. The workings that, um, just looking over the, the scars and the after effects of what had happened to Miss Cavallero, it, medically it's very difficult to make sense of them. Yeah, I don't doubt that indeed. Do you know what they... Do you know what they did to her? Uh, no, I I had stayed back at the apartment and um, looked over the new piece that we had found, so I, I was not with them. Mm. I'm sure it's quite a story. Uh, yes, perhaps Lady Elizabeth would share with you. Or Richard. His his lips seem looser than hers. He may be more likely. I like the professor. I do as well. Speaking of which, where is he? Uh, well, I would assume in his in his cabin. Mm. Hmm. I'll prepare the tonic and then be right back with you, okay? Oh, okay, thank you. He gets and begins pulling bottles out of his medical bag. Of various colors and sizes. Professor, given your two to three hours of calm that you'd likely have on the journey, what what do you suppose Richard's up to? Well, I don't think that's much of a mystery. So, um, he's been getting quite confident with his device recently and he knows what the, uh, the blue lens does and the green lens does and, uh, there are so many more on there. What mm-hmm. what exactly do they do? He's got an inkling that one is probably something to do with the, the future, maybe. I mean, if there's something to do with the past, then why not the future? Mm, um, which one's which? So he's gonna gonna have a play. I see. So you're spending time there in the cabin, playing with your sextant. Understood. All right, so uh, I suppose then I'll ask the question, uh, what lens specifically are you attempting to discern the nature of? Well, so he knows that the blue one is um, something to do with sort of uh, detail, um, sort of, you know, being able to zoom in and microscopic stuff. Um, So he doesn't want to change too many variables at the same time, so he's going to combine the blue and the yellow lens. Hmm, okay, okay. So it's a power roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's 40, which is a right on the nose for a hard success. Okay. So I will ask you then what it is. What is it that you are focusing on? Um, so what's in the what's in the cabin? I guess we've got a little table. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Table, um, the fold down bed, the um, small hand sink that's here. Uh, sorted luggage, <laughs> just your hand stuff, whatnot. Obviously, the larger luggage is somewhere else. So I'm guessing there's nothing here of particular interest, other than maybe the. So the sink probably hasn't seen a lot of action. Um, yeah, so I think he's going to sort of focus on the table. Maybe there have been people sitting there in the past, and uh, okay, yeah, that'd be a good place to start. Okay, so. Go ahead and roll a d6 for me. That's a one. Okay, spend one magic point. You get a nice cheap lesson today. Uh, So the lens shows you something rather peculiar. The chessboard that was here at this table some time ago. You're not particularly sure of when. But from the dress and whatnot of others, it does seem to be 
likely a couple of decades ago. Uh, so the Orient Express started up quite a while ago. Uh, and so its history has uh, seen many travelers. And as you stand here in the room staring at the table, you see a relatively young Dr. Julius Smith playing chess with another gentleman. Uh, they are smoking pipes and uh, perhaps is a just a bit of brandy nearby. And uh, they seem to be talking over a couple of things. It's hard to make out specifically what they're saying. It's a very muddled conversation for you on your end. Uh, but they seem to be having just a, a nice, pleasant game of chess. And as each piece moves, as each player takes their turn, you get the rather strange feeling that the game is far more important than your vision lets on. With every piece that his opponent or Julius loses, you see a little bit of their form become threadbare. This vision of it. Piece by piece. So would Richard sort of get the idea that he's almost seeing behind some sort of veil? This isn't really a chess game. It's a symbolic representation of something. Sure. Or a memory that is something more than he understands. Hmm. Interesting. It definitely happened several... I mean, given the professor's... Given the, the doctor's age, it definitely would have happened many years ago. This feels like looking back into the past that's interesting so Richard's got the idea that the green lens is the one that allows him to see in the past so why hmm so why is this showing him something in the past it's a great question make me a spot hidden roll hard difficulty Richard has a good spot hit now he's on 64 a slight uplift after our improvement session and he rolls a 56, which is nowhere near a hard success. That's all right, because the end of fate is going to make it a hard success. Because oh. it can do that. Thank you, end of fate. You look out the window just momentarily. And you see outside the window one of the signs in London for Victoria Station. And it kind of brings into clear focus... That yes, you're seeing something from the past, but you're also seeing something that happened nowhere near where you're at. Uh, and so you're seeing things from afar. Interesting. So I think Richard will um, consider that a lesson well learned. He's very interested in this chess game, though. Before the vision fades a bit, before your time with the lens is done, it's fairly clear that the other player is quite good. Dr. Smith does unfortunately lose the game. And the deep French accent that replies to him wishes him luck in the future. Can Richard get a good look at this, um, this person's face? Almost imprint it. Unfortunately not. Ooh. But you do get the sound. Okay. Richard will make a mental note. Very well. Maggie, Paul Paul returns to your cabin with a elixir. It looks like something quite interesting. It's milky white. And it smells a little minty. And he says, I, I've taken care to... Uh, to try and brighten it a bit. Most medicinal things that uh, creations, as it were, from labs usually smell and are not necessarily the easiest to drink, but I, I've done what I can to try to make this one a little easier to, to, to go down. Uh, well, thank you, Paul. Um, should should I just drink, drink it all now? Oh, yes, absolutely. I can make you another later on. Paul rolled a five on his medicine, by the way. Okay. And Maggie will bottoms up. So it tastes like 
I don't know if you've had some of the more, I don't know if Moran, I'm sure you have, but it tastes like a pina colada. Okay. Except that it's thicker than that. Gross. It probably has a slightly additional consistency of thickness. Um, And it goes down, I should say it probably has a consistency of of likely of Pepto-Bismol in that regard, right? Oh, well, that's fine then. (laughs) Um, But there is definitely a a spearmint or mint taste to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul is very happy to see you drink it. May you trust Paul less all the time? <laughs> Knowing that. Does it taste okay? Uh, yes, uh, it's it's quite nice. Did you, you there was mint in it? Mm, yes, yes. I was worried I'd overdone it. Oh uh, no, it was it was just fine. Good. Okay. Um, I'll clean this up and then um, you let me know if you start having any additional coughing problems, and I'll be happy to gawked another one. That would be fabulous. Thank you, Paul. He nods and smiles. Venice arrives shortly thereafter, but not before uh, James Robert Fraser has a moment to prepare himself and his party for disembarking. You'll know, Mr. Fraser, that uh, if you'd like to call ahead to the hotel, you'd be able to do so at the train station. Hmm. And so you'll just have to make the final formal arrangements to stay at the Daniel. Excellent. Um, uh, I'll have a look at the traveler's guide as well. Uh, see what else there is in Venice uh, within fairly um, short distance of, of the hotel where we're staying. See if there's anything that uh, I think may potentially be of use um, in terms of the uh, investigations that we're uh, we're making. Um, we know that Napoleon brought a piece of the simulacrum to this city, mm. or at least we we believe that to be the case. But that's kind of about it. So I think what what he'd like to do is just kind of ha- have a look at the the guide and see if there's anything in Venice that is related to um, Napoleon or his soldiers, where they might have come to, uh, where they m- might have gone when they were in Venice, and also have a look and see if there are any museums, galleries, that kind of thing, where Mm. potentially it might even be on show as a a museum piece. Venice and Napoleon have a pretty excitable history together, given the fact that, for the most part, Venice was staunchly independent until Napoleon arrived. (laughs) So I wouldn't say necessarily that everybody here was happy to see Emperor Napoleon arrive. So is there a palace or something like that that he might um, uh, he might have lived in that potentially might be if he personally had some involvement in the, the retrieval of this piece um, that it might might possibly be brought there? It's possible. You know for a fact that Venice is a is a good hotbed of cultural activities of Italy, and so it's likely that whether it be a gallery or even given the time period and given the location. Maybe it's a church where a lot of these investitures were made. That's probably some things that that you would, especially given some of your religious background, Mm. you might key into and say, well, you might want to check some of these larger churches because they're going to receive a lot of the tithing and a lot of the money where cultural things can be put up. Uh, There was a lot of that going on uh, in that period of time. Bearing all that in mind, if I can get my hands on a map of Venice whilst I'm still on the train... Um, I'll just uh, take the time to circle some places of interest that uh, that I think might be worth either finding out a little bit more about or visiting. Uh, if there is a, a public library, uh, city records, or something like that, that might that might have some information potentially about some of the objects that the soldiers brought with them. Um, maybe mm-hmm. you know, if, if we get really lucky, then it might actually be mentioned in something like that. Okay, I mean, you're you're fairly certain that one of the first places that you could look at would be just taking a look at whatever libraries or uh, bibliotecas and whatnot as far as the Italian language goes. Anything like that would probably be a good starting point. And then the real question is, is this a situation like you that you found in Paris where it wasn't just one library you had to go to. You had to go to multiple libraries mm. to sort these puzzle pieces together. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll spend a little time then... Um, marking out places of interest and uh, writing down possible uh, timetables, itineraries, uh, that kind of thing, with a view to um, bringing that to the group when, when we've got a moment uh, and uh, just seeing what they think. 
certainly. Well, you'll have that moment shortly, should you so choose. So probably around half four, give or take, there's a bustling that takes over some of the porters and some of the staff here. Those of you, you, since you've had the opportunity to ride the Orient Express several times now, you know that that means, okay, people are preparing to disembark and go to the forloin and and prepare to get their things out. So barring any changes to your schedule or desires by the players, we'll arrive in Venice. Lady Elizabeth, did you want to speak with Paul before disembarking? Yes. He, of course, has time for you. I'll send a note by a porter or something for him to come to come to me. Yes. I'm shocked you would have him come to you. He arrives shortly thereafter. Happy to uh, help you out. I guess, how can I help you, Lady Elizabeth? Ah, Paul. Well, it's been quite an eventful few days and uh, a rather tiring mm-hmm. few days as it is. And I was... Uh, I feel like I'm in need of a pick-me-up of, of some kind. I'm quite exhausted, and I don't seem to be sleeping well. Hmm. Well, he kind of looks around. I just, I want to be sure that we're not running into a, an issue with these pick-me-ups happening too often, of course. I don't believe I had any in Milan at all. Fair enough. As long as you're sure you're in control of it. Oh, quite. Very well. How would you prefer to take it? Same as before. Hmm. He uh, looks at you and says, I'll, I'll gather my things and, and uh, collect what you need. Thank you, Paul. I am most appreciative of your skills. Oh, um, Miss Pillinger spoke of a cough she's developed since we left Milan. I've given her a tonic for it. I just wanted you to, to be aware of what was going on. Hmm. I do hope it's nothing contagious. I don't believe so. I'm sure she'll be right as rain. Milan was quite dust. Indeed. Hopefully the saltwater air does uh, something good to clear her out a little bit. And no more book-burning fires, one would hope. One would hope. I'll be back with your... Uh, medicine in just a minute. Thank you, Paul. As he exits the door to your cabin, you see a you see him stop in the doorway as a staff member wheels someone in a wheelchair through uh, the hallway as they're getting ready to exit. It's an older man. Can I catch a glimpse of who it is? Anyone I recognize? No, you don't recognize him at all. Uh, it's an older gentleman. He's got uh, dark hair, He's probably a medium build. He looks a little infirm. Uh, He's bundled up. Um, Even though it's not really that cold. Um, But it is quote unquote winter. As many of your... um, As as many of your uh, older generations in your family would say, if it's winter, you wear a coat. And we bundle up and make sure you don't catch anything. And so they're probably just observing these same sort of age old guidelines. And when one is unwell, one tends to feel the cold a bit more strongly anyway. It's true. It's very true. But after the wheelchair passes, he uh, exits out, and then within a couple of minutes is back and gives you your dose of medicine. And now you're going to make me a constitutional. Ah. <laughs> okay. okay. That is a 19 under 50. Okay. You ingest, as it were. Uh, And uh, you feel a sudden rush of energy and opening of capillaries and a sense of being awake, which you are not normally. There is a bit of pain in the back of your neck, just for a moment, as you adjust your joints a little bit, and you feel a almost pleasurable rush down your shoulders as the energy takes over. And um, you're not sure why Everyone doesn't get prescribed this sort of stuff. It's fantastic. Mm. Ah, much better. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. I, um, I'm here to help as much as I can. You're doing a marvelous job. Wonderful. I should go uh, prepare to disembark. Yes. 
I believe we are approaching. Hmm. So disembarking here at the train station in Venice is a rather strange sight. Um, so the train station itself is uh, positioned in a location where you're going to have to make your way down to the, the canal, right? Uh, so you'll be taken then from where you're at and you'll have to eventually, to get to your hotel, you will have to take a series of gondolas to cross. Now, some of the gondolas go all the way up and down the Grand Canal, right? Some of them also go just across the islands. So there's a couple things to think about here. Depending upon what gondola you get on, depends on where you want to end up. And that's important. It's issued here in your traveler's companion that Venice can be a rather um, dizzying and um, confusing place for new travelers because the location is beset by alleyways and cul-de-sacs and, and uh, broken streets that don't go anywhere. Some end in into cafe areas or to simple courtyards that have no meaning or don't, don't do anything. It's a little bit frustrating for new people who are here in Venice. And so they recommend that um, you be very precise and specific with where you want to go, lest you end up on the wrong island. Well, uh, I have made uh, reservations uh, for us uh, at the hotel, uh, the Hotel Royal Danieli. What I would suggest is our first port of call is there and uh, we can get ourselves settled in. Um, I've also noted a few a few places uh, within Venice itself that might be... Uh, um, of interest in terms of uh, finding out some further information uh, about the, the item that uh, we're, uh, we're looking for. Uh, yes, I think that would be an excellent start. Well, I'll see if I can uh, hail a gondola, or however it is you do it here. You've never had to hail a gondola before. It doesn't take you terribly long. Amongst the men working the gondolas, there's actually a fair amount of them that seem to speak English. Although not so much as fluently as maybe you do, but they do seem to, to try, which is helpful for you, given how much you speak of Italian. By you none. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll just say uh, a buongiorno, so to make it clear that I'm, I'm at least attempting to uh, relate to them in, in their own language uh, before Certainly. I re revert uh, almost immediately to English. Mm. Uh, we would like to be taken to the uh, Hotel Royal Danieli, uh, if you please. Hmm. Hmm. Danieli. He nods a couple of times. See. Si. Uh, very well. Uh, how many? He, he seems to count on his fingers. Uh, we have uh, one, two, three, four, six of us. Hmm. Of course, of course. Right this way. He kind of gestures down towards a Grazie. small pier that he chuckles. Ends at uh, his gondola. It's a uh, they're long and narrow, so they're about 32 feet by 5 feet wide. High stern and prow. And there's a, even a curtained cabin, which is nice for you, Lady Liz, because it means that you're not going to necessarily get sprayed with water or have your dress messed with by, say, salt waters. It would never come out of silk. Correct. It also offers you a bit of uh, protection from, well, from the, the elements. The gondola ride is fascinating in the sense that they don't operate like normal boats. Uh, there's no motor at the back of them, just that massive or at the back of it that they sort of weave their way through the Grand Canal. And you get a long and very pleasant journey down this Grand Canal. It probably takes a good 30 minutes. I think during that time, um, uh, Mr. Fraser will, will uh, he'll kind of sit on, uh, on the gondola and, uh, look around him at the, the the sights of the way the houses are, are built and designed and he's never really seen anything like this before um, and he, he'll um, kind of watch us the, see how the, the gondolier steers and pushes the boat along. Have they got one of the, the are there two of them? Is there one that steers and one that pushes it along with the pole? This one is done just by the gentleman with the pole. He stands at the back of it basically on a high step and works the oar back and forth. So I kind of admire the, the skill and expertise with which the gondola steers around. I, I would imagine there's 
you know, other gondolas and, and boats as oh, well that yes. they're kind of weaving their way through. Mm. Um, and after a few minutes, he just starts humming to himself. It's quite the scene, especially as you make your way down the Grand Canal for the first time. Just an absolute cornucopia of palazzos and churches that line the canal. And the, the rather dizzying thing to you is that everything is built directly on the water. At least that's what it seems like. And Richard, you can't really work out how the city has continued on like this. Uh, I mean, the, the amount of basement flooding alone would just be astronomical. Yes. Um, fascinating place. I really have no idea why they didn't just build on land rather than, um, yes, most, most odd. It is definitely a salt marsh. Hmm. Um, Richard's going to try and strike up a conversation with the gondolier and, uh, um, uh, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any fish in the, uh, in the, uh, the canal here? Fish? Yes. Fish, um, he motions with his hand, sort of like a flip, a, uh, a yes, 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 fish, fish. Yes, what, what, what sort of fish do you have here? He looks down into the water and you see him shake his head no. And he says, uh, yeah, we have some fish, yes, but look, look at this. He gestures down towards the water. You see that the uh, water here is particularly dark. Oh, um, it's, um, not particularly clean, is it? Um, it's only most recently started happening. Uh, industry, I suspect. Uh, further upstream? Uh, factories? Perhaps. Uh, perhaps, but, uh, you must understand the people here, they take dark waters as a bad omen. Uh, yes, quite. But we've had our share of, um, bad omens and dark waters. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully she brightens soon. Hmm? He tries to put a pleasant face on it. Ah, uh, yes, but but no fish. Uh, it was such a shame. You get steered around towards the outer edge of the Grand Canal, and you see it open. So it opens up into a much larger body of water, and you can see far off in the distance another break or barrier island. And you can only imagine that beyond that is the Adriatic. And so you are just at the mouth there now as he moves you in towards a pier spot by the Denali. Um, he does assist you with uh, getting your luggage off. And uh, wishes you a good day after payment is received. I could get used to this being ferried around. And uh, you, yeah, you arrive at the hotel. Beautiful place. Probably one of the nicer hotels here in Venice. A lot of the more luxurious buildings here have an awful lot of marble in them. Uh, this section of Italy has just an, an absolute ton of marble all over the place. Big courtyards. Uh, but uh, this is quite the uh, quite the lodgings. Fit for a Fitzroy. But of course. Fit for the Fitz. <laughs> Oh, do we know if the black shirts have made their way to Venice at this point in time? Yes, historically speaking, by 1920, early 1925-ish, Mussolini is uh, in full control of Italy. Okay. So they are here. So I will be keeping an eye out. It's probably not a bad idea. I mean, you see some on the street, but they don't seem to be as packed as, say... They were in Milan. So I guess we'll um, get checked in at the hotel. Of course, of course. Is there a possibility of getting a suite or are we in individual rooms here? I'd say there's probably the possibility of getting a suite. You have uh, a rather, rather nice looking hotel, large rooms, there's uh, balconies. Lovely, then, uh, then I'll see if I can get us uh, um, a suite with uh, some sort of living area and uh, rooms off it with 
um, that we can all have a little bit of privacy, uh, somewhat like we had in in Paris. Yeah, it doesn't cost you terribly much. I mean, all things considered, compared to British Pound. And as we all know, the professor is absolutely rolling in money with his suitcase full of cash. Not at all suspicious. No. Less and less each day, though. (laughs) We did spend £500 freeing Paul from his employment. Well, I mean, you did basically buy a personal drug dealer for Lady Elizabeth, so there is that. Mm. (laughs) It's been good value so far. Medical drugs. Thank you very much. It is a prescription from my doctor. All drugs are going out engage drug dealing ruffians in the street. It's very important to uh, understand. It's all medical. It's important. Uh, So it is a nice hotel. It's not terribly tall, uh, about four floors, but it is a nice accommodation. And your rooms are, each one of them have these beautiful little balcony, single person step outs where you can enjoy the sunset as it uh, slowly and inexorably collides with the Adriatic. Would we um, be wishing to take our dinner in the restaurant or here in our suite? Well, I don't know about you, Mr. Fraser, but I'd prefer that we not be seen. Just yet. Very well, I'll uh, I'll inquire about a, a menu and uh, mm. we'll have it sent up. They're happy to serve you either in your room or at the restaurant in the first floor or on the main floor and barring anything like that they can get you essentially mostly whatever type of um, meat or fish that you're interested in they do suggest several different bottles of wine we'll have those then, then. and uh, <laughs> they tell you that they're honored to host the the Fitzroy party and just from your own eyes Lady Elizabeth this place is a considerable step up as far as your recent lodgings go Yes, much more suited to my status. Correct. The carpet on the stairs is just the right color of red. And not scuffed. No, definitely not. Definitely not. It's actually fairly close to a couple of key points of interest. Um, You would notice that, Miss Bellinger. There are a couple of key points of interest nearby. Uh, The Piazza San Marco, which is really close to where you're at now and you should be able to get there just from a simple walk Hmm. well perhaps that will be a good place to stop in the morning Hmm. it's evening now right what day of the week is it today i'm just wondering if there'd be an evening mass i'm I'm presuming all the the churches and cathedrals around here are roman catholic ones yeah yeah i would imagine so yes and so i would err on the side of saying yes there probably would be mass somewhere around here if that's something that uh, Mr. Fraser would uh, indulge himself in, then absolutely. Mm, uh, he's, he's Church of Scotland. <laughs> it's not the same thing at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, there is a, there's a church not too far from where you're staying at. Uh, there's actually more than, more than one, shockingly. You'd be more than happy to, to, to go and uh, observe the, uh, the architecture both inside and outside, but uh, you won't be partaking in a church service. So we may need to, at some point, make a stop at the Basilica, as I was uh, recently reading in my Traveler's Companion that Napoleon uh, called it the most beautiful living room in Europe. Ah. Oh, the, pia- the piazza. That's um, uh, very well spotted. I- I'm impressed. Uh, so possibly the, the... Whichever piece we're looking for is... In somewhere around the piazza. Well, it's, it's entirely possible. I mean, there are several uh, buildings of note here. There's the, uh, the Galleria dell'Accademia, uh, which is a, a fairly uh, large and impressive art gallery, as I understand it. Uh, and, of course, there are the cathedrals, the uh, Basilica di Santa Maria Gloriosa dei Frari. I'm not sure if I've uh, pronounced that correctly. And, of course, the uh, St. Mark's Basilica, as you say. Any one of these places will, would be admirably suited to the piece, perhaps uh, somewhere uh, even on display or perhaps in the uh, 
within the catacombs or something of the sort. Ooh, more catacombs, Richard. <laughs> I think it may may well be worth our, our while um, investigating the uh, the Academia. That's uh, that's one place as well. And also, there's a, uh, I'm sure there's a a large library here that uh, we could go through the historical records of the city and see if anything springs out at us. Ah, yes, the library. I, I, um, I believe that um, a biblioteca. That that sounds like a library. I, on the map there. I, ah, I, yes. I don't think that's very far from where we are in the uh, the hotel. Indeed. Uh, yes. Yes. It looks like it's just a short walk past the ducal palace. Biblioteca. Yes. That that sounds like a library, doesn't it? Uh, Biblioteca is French for library. I don't know. Um, yes, the uh, the roots of the word, but um, yes, I'm sure I've seen it. Um, I do believe it is Italian. For library. It's a pretty reasonable... Uh, Con- considering we are in Italy. Well, uh, I was merely meaning that uh, obviously all the uh, all the Romance languages, uh, they do spring, I suppose, at core from, from Latin, which is in itself a, um, a form of Italian. It's all Greek to me. I, I prefer... Um, um, yes, the, uh, um, the certainty of the numbers... I have to say, Professor, <laughs> that was a very good one. <laughs> oh, he, uh, yes, 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 a joke. So the group of you have dinner. You get settled into your rooms. The suite offers you a fairly large, sprawling portion of the floor here. The nicest part about the hotel here is, while it might not be tall, it's very long. And so it actually runs far enough on the face here to go north far enough to where you could exit out the back of the hotel, walk two blocks, and basically walk into the Piazza San Marco. And so, positionally speaking, it's a it's a very uh, it's very a very smart position within the city. Plus, you have access to the Grand Canal, walking out of the front door and down into the shores. And so, it's likely that tomorrow you'll have your pick of whichever direction you want to go, what thing that you want to look at. And so I guess I would just ask each of you then your first night in Venice, if it is a, uh, if the idea is to stay in, how are you spending it? Well, I, I will take um, a certain amount of time making sure that her ladyship has everything she needs and everyone else has everything they, that they need. Um, I'll probably spend a bit of time in conversation with uh, Simon as well um, and uh, ask him what he thinks of the situation and uh, what he th- he's planning for for tomorrow if he has any plans um and uh maybe um make some sort of arrangement with him if we're, we're going to go somewhere together uh, and then i will uh light my pipe um and uh, see if i can get hold of some uh, drinkable whiskey in this place you struggle at first to get drinkable whiskey in your estimation although you meet a gentleman at the bar who is happy to give you the words that you're looking for when you describe whiskey. And he says, they're not used to drinking what we would call proper whiskey. And so he says something to the the barman behind and he goes in a completely separate direction from where they have it. So that this barman has stocked what you would call drink of whiskey far closer to uh, the sherry's than where it's supposed to be. Oh, I wouldn't mind a wee sherry actually. Mm. Be fine, and uh, so I'll, I'll I'll maybe strike up a, a conversation with this fellow mm. and say, well, what uh, what do they what do they drink here? Uh, well, they mostly drink wine, mm. but uh, I believe they have uh, they have some sort of spirits. Don't they? I've heard that is it grappa? Is that the uh, name of a spirit mm-hmm. they drink here? Yes. Be careful, will you? <laughs> oh, strong is it? Oh, well. mm. It can be depending upon the type that you get. Well, uh, I. Uh, I was brought up in uh, the on the east coast of Scotland. Uh, we know a thing or two about uh, spirits. Indeed, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, suggest uh, anything otherwise. I just. I do know that some of the uh, bars here stock grappa from uh, family stock, and so it's uh, mm. it's a uh, potency can vary from place to place. I take your meaning, sir. I take your meaning. I will. Uh, uh, I will drink with moderation. Mm. Well. If you're into sour plums with a slightly honeyed twist, I would uh, recommend it. Just in moderation. Very good, Al. I'll take your advice then. Thank you. 
you have a very pleasant evening at the bar, whether it's whiskey or sherry. Um, it's a, a nice way to turn down the volume on the day. Maggie, knowing that Richard kind of uh, threw a little fit the last time she did experiments without him, um, she would probably ask Richard if there was anything, like if he had any interest in the simulacrum pieces or if he wanted to try to see she saw the other night. He seemed awfully worried about it. And thus far, he has been her partner in these experiments. So she would offer to loop him in. Well, well, um, yes, I mean, that sounds like a, a fascinating idea. And I'm I, I'm glad this time that you've um, decided to ask me. I, I think if we make some uh, proper observations, I, th- I think we could, um, yes, ben- benefit greatly from this endeavor. Um, I was thinking perhaps, um, well, I don't know. I mean, when we were looking for the torso, I was, I was looking through the device through, uh, for, for, for these threads. And, um, I'm wondering if we could, um, maybe see if you're connected at the moment, as it were. Yes, that would be, I, I, I would like to see that. I, I've developed a cough. Um, Paul did give me a tonic, but I'm concerned that um, it's due to the abdomen and not the uh, the dust of the backstage area. Oh, in the same way that your arm is hurting because, yes, I see. Um, yes, well, I, well, let, well let, let me take a look. And Richard pops his device on and okay well, what uh, what will you be using to divine the um, source of her malady that's a good question so I think we're probably gonna go for um, I just need to refer to my notes here I don't think the yellow would be very useful based on what we know um, so probably not I'm gonna say pink and blue okay so power roll for me Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that's extreme. That's zero eight, and extreme would be 16. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right, roll a d6. Figure out what it takes you to cast it. Uh, that's a three. All right, spend three magic points. What portion of her body are you attempting to look at specifically? Um... Well, really both the arm and the torso, the idea being to do sort of a comparison. The lenses spin up uh, and you push them into place and they staple hard against your head, lock into position. And no matter how many times you see it, Maggie, it's impossible to get the visual out of your head. Even if you're looking off, trying to not stare at him while he puts this thing on, there's always the sound. It always is there, that clicking. And with this pink and blue film over your eyes, you get an idea of what, again, these lines that seem to exist between Maggie and these pieces. You see the threads again that connect them. And while the left arm has a very strong thread, to your horror... There is now a separate thread line that leads from the center of her chest out towards the steamer trunk that has the pieces in it. Hmm. I'm afraid, uh, yes, I, I can see a very similar connection um, between the arm and yours and the, uh, uh, the torso in your chest, which I guess might explain the coughing. Um, I, I had suspected this, but I... I, I I thank you for confirming. Does it seem that the the chest is in any way blocking the connection? As far as what you can tell and, and ascertain at this point, Richard, the chest does not seem to be blocking the energy at all. I'm afraid it's um well I'm making little difference, if any at all. Uh, we must find some more copper. Yes. Uh, soon. Ah, I've had an idea. Um. If you have this this luggage, um, 
and the copper just needs to be somewhere um, in in the path between the uh, the um, body part and the uh, and you. Um, rather than you wear a bracelet, perhaps we could encase the harming copper. Perhaps that would have the same effect or a better effect because you can hardly go around, um, you know, walking around with a, a maybe like a, a sheath over your your arm made of copper. That would be ridiculous. But perhaps if we could put the arm in a in a, in a copper case or a copper lined case, then we could. Um, Yes, we could increase the effect, and uh, um, yes, you wouldn't have to uh, go clanking around with um, half a ton of copper on you. Well, that was my thought ex- exactly. With the the chest, we just didn't have time previously in Milan to find exactly what we needed. Ah, it's a it's a brilliant idea, isn't it? Great, great minds think alike. <laughs> you can tell um, Maggie that he, Richard's gotten almost a um, feverish interest when it comes to his sextant and the, the simulacrum pieces. So do I. For now. <laughs> For now. <laughs> okay. So the two of you um, play around with the sextant and the pieces for the rest of the night, or at least the majority of the night. Yeah, I think we'd probably sort of maybe do some more experiments like, um, does it does it help if we put the, the pieces in the bath, run a bath? <laughs> We tried a plant yeah. pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, we can try the torso in a plant. Yeah. You would glean this much from it, Maggie. Whenever you move the torso piece, mm-hmm. as soon as you pick it up, you have a hard time breathing. Oh, no. Like, as soon okay. as you pick it up. Mm-hmm. It feels like somebody's stepping on your chest every time you pick it up. When I pick it up, when Richard picks it up. When, when anyone pick it picks up. it up. Okay. Well, that's helpful, because I can just not touch it. So... Lady Elizabeth, for your part in this wonderful evening. I think I'm going to study some Italian. Oh, fascinating. So um, just um, regular old spoken Italian or anything specific? I I want to pick up enough to, or at least the basic conversational things. I I want to be able to find my way around with looking at street signs, but also if I can overhear anything. Random words sometimes lead to very interesting encounters. I also just don't like being at a disadvantage anywhere I go. All right. So how are you going to get a hold of said information on Italian? I think I would ask at the front desk if if someone could procure me a dictionary. And then I would use the local papers and things to translate back and forth and practice. Interesting. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. It's slow going. Do you have fast learner or? Um, I have quick study and I have uh, arcane insight. Those are the two I have quick study and arcane insight. I tell you what, I will give you a intelligence roll, hard difficulty. Okay. And we'll see how well you learn Italian in a night. <laughs> Ooh. 32 under 65. Yeah, right right around there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you spend the night picking up what you believe is not conversational, but just written Italian. Very simple things, right? Restaurants, bathrooms, churches, libraries, maybe points in the city that the newspaper talks about, locations. Uh, And you probably pick up, we'll say, 25 to 30 words that you can reasonably have in memory. It's not anywhere near conversation because you're not using it to speak anything. But by morning time, provided it all sinks in, you should be in a little bit better position to move around the Venice uh, canals. Would dictionaries at this time, like modern dictionaries, have pronunciation like IPA or anything? So most modern, di- most modern dictionaries have pronunciation of words. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about dictionaries written in other languages I don't know and so make me luck roll oh god at least uh-huh. I got a little bit of luck last time let's see what is my luck uh 42 the answer 37 yeah this one has a pronunciation guide can I add any points in language other Italian mm, no not after a single not night yet. Okay. That that would be stretching it. I'm gunning for it. I'm duly noted. 
All right, but I've got my dictionary with me, and uh, I've learned some words to help me get around. So that was what Absolutely. I wanted to do. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll pull the session to a close there, and when we pick up next time, the investigators will get their first true foray into the canals and streets of Venice. So thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Horror on the Orient Express. If you enjoyed the show, consider backing us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the old ways podcast, where for a myriad of dollar amounts, you could do a myriad of things to these players. It's truly wonderful. And so again, thank you for your listening ears. <laughs>